We are at 2 Corinthians, and we are on chapter 3 now. Really studying what Paul is teaching the church of Corinth, what he's telling us, and what he wants to tell you today. I want to let you know that the book of First uh, and Second Corinthians wasn't only for the church of Corinth, it also is for you today. You would ask yourself, how is it that the church of uh, of Corinth, of that culture, it applies to me. Well, yes, it does. It very much so applies to you and to me. Because Paul is talking to a church or to a culture now, to a time where they were all about self. Where they're all about what, what gives me pleasure, what, what makes me feel good. And, and they were really actually shunning away or they were despising and rejecting the truth of what they were teaching, what Paul was teaching in regards to the Bible. And now he goes on in chapter 3 as he's talking about how we are a fragrant aroma of God. We're a fragrant aroma of God wherever we go. We are that perfume. We're a vessel and we're that perfume. And that's how he ends in chapter 2 of letting others know the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Think about the scent or the perfume that you're known by or maybe you go somewhere in that, that, that location. It just it smells like maybe someone's cooking. It smells like someone's home, that aroma, the warmth of how that feels, that reminder that it brings to you. Do you know that when you smell something, what does it automatically do to you? It brings up a memory, right? Oh man, this smells like, and then you think about a childhood memory, or you think about that time that, that, that you were there at that place, and it smelled, that, that it reminds you, well, well, when your character goes out in this world, when we go out to our workplaces and we go out to our, with our neighbors, hang out with our friends, we are that aroma that leads people and reminds them of Jesus. And now he's saying, but who is sufficient for these things? But who is it that can really be qualified for these things? Because they were telling Paul, Paul, you're not qualified to be an apostle. You, you should not have the confidence that you do to be able to do these things. Have you ever struggled with feeling qualified to do what God's called you to do? Have you ever struggled feeling the confidence that maybe God wants you to have today to be able to, to fulfill that responsibility that, that maybe God has given you? Maybe the confidence to be a, a school and to, to, to get those good grades or a mother or a father or the confidence in your marriage so that you don't lose hope in that area of your life. Well, here he's going to talk to us in chapter 3 about how he has received the qualification to do what he does. And understand here, the qualification that Paul receives, or the qualification that Paul has, it is not from man, it is from God. Isn't it so interesting that every day we want to prove ourselves to people and say, you know what, I have the, I'm qualified by that person. We want to have the degree, the certificate, that, that we can say, you know what, I proved you wrong now, maybe. But Paul is saying here, the qualification that I have, I'm not looking to get qualified. I'm not looking for the approval of man. You know, the moment that you start to look for the approval of man, it's the moment that you really will stop growing in your faith. The moment that you want to look for approval and people, it's the moment that God will, will, it will limit the way God uses your life. Because you're more concerned about what other people think about you and how they have approved you than what God has already said. We talked about it this Wednesday. How, how many times are we more concerned about what people think than what God has said? I'm more concerned about what, what, what people think in, in the world today around me than what God has said about me in His Word and what He's called me to do. Well, I've titled this message today, Living Epistles or Living 
letters. And I want you to write that down if you take notes. Living letters. Because we are all living letters. Now in 2 Corinthians 2.17 it says, For we are not so as so many peddling the word of God, but as sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Paul is concerned about one thing. He's concerned about this, about saying, I'm not going to use the word of God to my advantage or to make me profit. I'm not using the word of God to, to give me an advantage, but I'm, I'm using the word of God and I do it with sincerity. I am pure and I am transparent. You can hold me up against the light and you can see that I am the real deal. We ended that on that note last week. What would happen if someone held you up to that light? Just like a, you hold up a, a bill, right? A money, currency. And they say, well, no, this is not real. We, we can see it when it's up against the light. Now, when he says sincerity, he talks about purity and transparency. You can hold me up against the test of light. And you can tell that in my heart, I have true character. I am pure and I'm transparent. But who is sufficient, who is adequate enough to minister to God in this way? Who is sufficient to minister to God? And what he's going to do, he's going to defend himself and demonstrating that God has called him. Why does he do this? Because he wants to guard his testimony. It's so important that we guard our testimony. Guard your testimony. That you are a correct representation of God. Why? Because he wants to stay blameless. He doesn't want nobody ever to look at Paul and say, Paul, look at that man. He's saying one thing, but he's doing the other. He lives with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and, and he's not blameless because we can, we can apply all these accusations against him. No, Paul was a man that's saying, I, I am living above reproach. I am living a, a lifestyle that is blameless, that in my life I live with integrity, that in my life there is no hidden motives, that in my life it's not hidden agenda. I really love people and I'm serving them because God called me to serve them. And the reason why he tells us this in 2 Corinthians 3 is because he wants to make a difference between what is real and what is not. I think today we need to make a difference between what is real and what is not, what is true and what is false. Because not everything is true. And be careful what you listen to. Not everything is true. Paul is saying here, I want you to know that I am real in my heart. I really love you. I have a shepherd's heart. And there is one qualification to be able to serve the Lord. I'll tell you this. Sometimes we think, you know, there's so many qualifications to serve God. There's one. It starts with one. Love for people. And Paul demonstrates it that he does love people. He has love for God. He has love for His will. And he has love for His people. Let's see 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 1 says this. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient of ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, God. We ask that it would exhort us, it would encourage us, Lord. 
to live lives above reproach, to live lives that are blameless. That our lives would mark the difference between what is real and what is not. That we would understand what it means to be, have our sufficiency in you and not in people. That we would not try to be self-sufficient, but that we would be God-sufficient, relying on you. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name, the church together said. Amen. Amen. You know why he's saying this, why he's defending himself? Because he wants them to know that he really cares. I don't know about you, but if you've ever heard that saying where it says people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't really know care about how much you know, how much you have to offer until they know how much you care about them. And he was going to say, I care about you so much. I have a heart of a shepherd. I love you. And do you think in verse 3, he says, um, chapter 3, verse 1, that I need a letter of commendation, that we need to offer up a letter of, of, or epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? What would happen here is that apostles, when they would go from one place to the other, they would take a letter of recommendation, just as we use today, maybe like a resume to show your qualifications or your credentials or that, that you are qualified for a certain thing, Right? And as he's doing that, he's saying, you know, the apostles would go from one place to another and, and they would say, you know what, I, I'm here with the letter of recommendation to serve you guys from the other church in Macedonia and Philippi, wherever it would be. But he's saying here, do you think that I need to be qualified by men? Because they're saying, you're not really an apostle, Paul. You're not really qualified. And he's saying, do you think that I need to, just like everyone else, I need a physical paper and letter of recommendation. I do not, I'm not interested in having the validation of people. You see, how many times are we interested of having the validation of people to do what God has called us to do? It's so normal sometimes that we're struggling in our minds to be able to get the validation from someone, the vote, the approval from someone, that someone say, you know what, we, we support you, and, and now we feel now that, that God can use us. But here what Paul is saying, he said, I, I don't need letters of recommendation. In, 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 order, in other words, the, the word commend means I don't need to promote myself. I, need to, I don't need to sell myself. I don't need to announce myself. Do you think I need a letter of recommendation? The word commend means to sell, to promote, to announce, to be able to say that I can validate myself with a piece of paper. That I am a real apostle. No, I can validate that by the work of what God is doing in the lives of those around me. I remember when we first started the church and, and someone would go up to me after the message and the service, they would approach me. All right, we just want to know, are you a real pastor? <laughs> or they would tell me, man, how old are you to be a pastor? Are you really the pastor? Of the, I mean, when's the real pastor going to come and, and teach on a Sunday? I mean, we just, you do the worst and then you move to the side and then you teach the Are you the real pastor? You know, what kind of validation or credentials do you have? That's the same thing that they're asking Paul right here. Well, what kind of backing do you have from someone to say that you are the real deal? You know what's, what, what really backs you up to show that you're the real deal? It's not what people say. It's your heart. It's your heart. That you have a shepherd's heart. We talked about that on Wednesday. Do you have a shepherd's heart? You know what a shepherd's heart is? Is a heart for God. Is a heart for God's will. And it's a heart for God's people. Do you have a shepherd's heart? Because you can call yourself whatever you want, but do you have a shepherd's heart? You can call yourself a teacher, a leader. You can call yourself a pastor. You can call yourself a, 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 you know, an influencer. You can call yourself whatever you want. But do you have a shepherd's heart for people? 
Here Paul is saying, do you think I need to validate myself with a piece of paper? You, need, you think I'm waiting for man to give me a signature on a piece of paper, a letter of recommendation, or approval for me to do what God's called me to do in ordination? He's already told them in 1 Corinthians 9.2, For I am not, for if I'm not an apostle to other people, if other people think I'm not an apostle, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are a seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You know what he's telling them there? If other people don't think I'm an apostle, I am to you because I've trained you up. I've raised you up. I've given you the heart, you know. I've given you the, the training from the Word of God. See, the, the marks of someone being real, the marks of real ministry, the marks of, of it being a work of God, I'll tell you this, the marks of it being the real deal is changed lives. It's changed lives. Because you can say that you're a Christian, a believer, a disciple, but has your life changed. And Paul is going to say that the, what backs up that I am real is not a piece of paper. It's not a label. Everybody wants to label themselves. It's not a branding. It's my life has changed and their lives are changing as well. And that validates my ministry. It says that it's not a work of man. It's a, it's a work of God. There's so many places where we try to fabricate a work of God. And, and we, can, we can try to fake a work of God, but it's so obvious when it's not of God. But it's also so obvious when it is of God because people's lives begin to change. And it's so comforting for me every time I hear someone's life be changed, someone that, that you hear that, you know, they're in a relationship that God did not approve and they broke that relationship because their lives have changed. Someone that had a vice or an addiction that for so long they were part of that vice or that addiction, they grew up, but guess what? God took a hold of their lives and they broke that vice because they wanted to honor God and their life has changed. That validates someone real, authentic heart for the Lord. A changed life. This is not, I'm not trying to fake it, he's saying. My life has really changed and their life has changed. You know why it changed? By the power of the Holy Spirit. No one can change nobody. Sometimes you try to change people, you can't change anyone. You try to change a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, you cannot change anyone. The only one that can change someone, it's the power of the Holy Spirit changing from the inside out in the heart. And then it becomes an undeniable work of the Holy Spirit. It's obvious. It's a work of God. It's just evident. This is obvious. You can't, you can't fake it. This is a work of God that's taking place in the life of someone. Verse 2, you are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You're a letter. That word epistle means you're a letter. You are our letter. We might not have a, 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 a paper letter, but you serve as a letter for me, Paul is saying. Everywhere I go, I can speak about the church of Corinth, how they've been raised up, how their lives are changing. You are a living letter. You are a living proof, a living de demonstration that God is working here. Now it says you are an epistle. I want you to underline this in your Bible where it says written in our hearts. God has written that letter in our hearts. But to, for what reason? To be known and to be read by all men. You know what that letter is for? You know why you serve as a letter? You serve as a letter for a reason. You serve as a letter for a specific reason here. Because he's telling us ministry is not places. Ministry is not buildings. Ministry is not validation. It's not credentials. Ministry is not an approval. Ministry is people. You are the letter. But what is the letter useful for? 
The letter demonstrates, it proves that people's lives are being changed. And the written letter is for others to know it and to read it. Known and read. Please underline that. Known and read by everyone. It's a public testimony. See, when you would go from place to place, you would take that letter and say, you know what, that church validated me for me to be able to go serve at this, this location, at this next place. Here's my letter. And they would bring the letter actually on a pieces of stone. That would be the letter that they would have. But he's saying, I don't need to bring a piece of stone because the letter that I have is written in my heart. That's how much he loves the people. I carry that letter wherever I go and you are that letter when I remind them of you. You are a Christ letter. I want you to remember that today. You are a Christ letter. When you go to work, you are a letter from Christ to your work. You are a letter from Christ in your home. You are a letter from Christ in your sphere and community of influence wherever you're at. You are a letter from Christ. Think about that. You are a letter from Christ so that others can know Christ and read it. So others would know and read it. And that's the best letter recommendation is a changed life, Paul is saying. You want me to bring you a piece of stone? Why that? When God has given me a letter in my heart to be known and to be read, it's from Christ. You are that letter to be known and to be read by everyone. It's a changed life. You see, why is a changed life so credible? Why is it that that brings so much credibility when your life's changed? Because you can that's undeniable. Because you can't argue against a changed life. You can't say, you know what, I'm not really a believer. I'm not really interested. Your life has changed. You're a different person. Have you ever hung out with friends maybe that, that knew you back when you were not a believer? And they wonder and they ask, what is it about you, man? You changed. You're weird now, man. <laughs> we used to be able to have fun and do all of this. And you say, no, I, I'm still now that same person that, that, that wants to have fun and all However, my heart has changed now. And I'm a different person from the inside out. And that's the best way for someone to get the message is by that Christ letter, who, which is you. You think about this. God wants everyone to know and to read that letter. And that, the way they read and know that letter is by changed lives. Ask yourself today, has somebody known Him? Has somebody read about Him? Has someone known now that Jesus is the answer because of the letter which is written in my heart because my heart has changed? Clearly, verse 3, you are an epistle of Christ. First he tells them, you are our letter. You serve as our letter. I don't need a physical letter written on a stone. You are that letter. And then he says, you know who wrote that letter? Christ wrote that letter. It's so awesome to be able to see that Christ rewrote your story. That you had a story going one direction, but Christ said, I'm going to rewrite that story. And he wrote a letter now in regards to your life. Isn't that amazing how God changes our lives? That he rewrites that story, that letter that, that once was headed a different direction. He's saying, not only are you a letter, but the author of that letter is Christ. Ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Now he's saying, you are a letter from God. But not only a letter from God, you are written from Him, by Him. You are a Christ that are written by Him, and you are the result of our ministry. You are the proof of our ministry in that letter, and you're not written with ink or with a pen. Now he's saying, you know why this letter is better than the physical letter on a stone? 
Because the physical letter on a stone, you carve it out, you, write, you stick ink on it. Maybe you're going to write a letter at home right now of recommendation, whatever. You emboss it. You stamp it. There's ink involved. And he's saying, you know, the letter that Christ writes, he doesn't write it with ink. That's amazing. What can you do with ink? Even though it's ink and you think it's permanent, you can do some damage on ink. He said, but the Lord doesn't write his letters with ink. Think about this. When God goes to work, he doesn't use ink. Look what he uses. He writes the letter with the Holy Spirit. You think about how the Lord wrote that letter in, you know, with, of your life with the Holy Spirit. He started to change your heart. And it says this in verse now 3. Clearly you're an epistle ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Now, you, you are not a letter, the ones that people are used to, right, on a stone, but God uses ink, to, um, not uses ink, He uses the Spirit now, and you're not on a tablet of stone, but on tablets of the flesh, that is of the heart. You know what the Lord did? How He wrote that letter? He went straight to your heart. And it wasn't a tablet of stone. It was not nothing to do with the stone. It wasn't a physical stone in which they would take those letters. It wasn't ink that He used. He used your heart as that canvas. And He grabbed the Holy Spirit and He started to rewrite and work with the Holy Spirit all over your heart to change your heart, to rewrite your story of your heart, to change your des desires. And it was written on not stone, but it was written on flesh that is of the heart. That's why when we think about the Lord doing a work in our lives, we have to say, Lord, change my heart first. Because here in verse 3, He's saying, listen, you are... Written by the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And also, not only is it a work of the Holy Spirit, it's not written on stone, it's written in hearts. And what's amazing about that is that it's of the flesh. You see, back in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, the Lord told the nation of Israel, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. You have a heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. You know what God does when He gives you a heart of flesh? He gives you a heart that is tender, that you can cut through. Not a heart of stone that's rejecting, that is hard, that is stubborn, that is rebellious. But in Ezekiel 11 verse 19, it says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and I will take a stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God wants to give you a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. When we come to the Lord, guess what the Lord does? He gives you a heart transplant. And with the Holy Spirit, what He does with the Holy Spirit, and He takes away that heart of stone that you have, and the Holy Spirit gives you a heart of flesh, and He starts to rewrite now your story. You become a letter now for the Lord, for others to know and read by all. The New Living Translation reads verse 3 like this, Clearly you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not by pen. This letter is not written by ink. But with the Spirit of the living God, it is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. That's why today we have to ask the Lord, if I have a heart that is, is, is a stony heart, a heart that is full of pride, a heart that is rejecting you, a heart that is rebellious against your word, Lord, then remove that stony heart and give me a heart of flesh so that the Holy Spirit can come and write in that heart of flesh that, it, that is so tender that you can cut through, that you can change, that is ready to receive the Word of God. You know the heart of stone? God cannot do anything with the heart of stone. Why? Because the heart of stone doesn't receive the Word of God. The heart of stone is rejecting the Word of God, but the heart of flesh receives the Word of God. 
And that's what he's saying. God is through the Holy Spirit now speaking to you in a heart of flesh. Because the Holy Spirit can move in that type of heart. And that's what we have to ask the Lord. Lord, give me that type of heart. Have you ever tried to cut through a rock or something? How, how difficult would it be to cut through rock? Extremely difficult. You can't cut through rock. It's very, you have to have the, the, prop, or the proper machinery and equipment for all of that. But, but then he talks about a heart of flesh that is tender, almost as if you're slicing you know, something, a piece of meat that is so tender. What happens? You can open it up and you can do what you need to do with it. Man, should the Lord do that in our hearts? That He would just say, I need to give you a heart of flesh and the Holy Spirit's going to come and change your heart from the inside out. We need the Lord to change our hearts. Because that's how our life changes from our hearts. Now he's saying that they are his letter, that they are the proof because their life has changed. But verse 5, 4 says this. We have such trust through Christ toward God. He has confidence because of God. Today we need to have confidence in what God has called us to do. He's saying, I, I, I'm not being confident. I'm not being prideful in saying that you are a letter, saying that, that, that we minister to you, that you are the proof of our apostleship. It, it's not about that. It's not about me, he's saying. But I'm confident I trust in God through Christ. I'm confident in what God has called me to do. It's so important that we become confident in what God has called us to do. You know how you can become confident? When you trust in God. There's so many people that are, are not confident in what God has called them to do because they're trusting in what they don't know instead of who they do know, and that's the Lord. Now the Lord puts you in a situation that He wants you to trust Him, and He wants you to be confident in Him to put your trust in Him. And Paul is saying here, I'm confident in what God's called me to do. I don't need your approval. I'm confident because I'm trusting in Him. So many times we freak out because we fall short of what God's called us to do. We freak out. God takes us in a new season in our lives and we start to freak out. We start to look one way or another way and try to find answers quickly. But Paul is saying here, the reason why I am confident is because I trust in God. We have such trust through Christ toward God. Now, he's not self-confident, but he's God-confident in what he's called to do. He's not insecure, but he's secure about what God's called him to do. He's satisfied with what God's called him to do. He's content in what God's called him to do. He said, I'm not qualified on my own. I trust God. It's through Christ. I'm not self-accomplished. I don't think I'm self-sufficient in myself. I mean, that's the biggest thing today. Everybody wants to pride themselves of being independent. I'm independent. I'm strong. I'm self-sufficient. I can do it. Paul's saying, that is not me. In fact, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not independent. I actually depend on God. And I'm, I, I, I am, my sufficiency comes from God alone. See, there's a problem when you start to think that you don't need God. See, that's the biggest problem sometimes when we think that we don't need God. You see, I don't think that I've qualified myself because I'm self-accomplished, because of my education, because of my experience, Paul's saying, that I am a Paul. I trust God, and that's why I'm confident. Too many times we become very insecure of what God's called us to do. We're insecure, and we don't want to take steps of faith because of our insecurities. But I'll tell you, the presence of God is not a place of insecurity. The presence of God is not a place for insecurity. The presence of God is a place for surrender. And we must know that. Because sometimes we come to the presence of God very self-conscious. The presence of God is not a place to be self-conscious. The presence of God is a place to be surrendered. And he's saying, I'm, not, I'm confident in what God called me to do. 
I don't need that person's opinion. I don't need that person. I'm confident in what God had called me to do. When you start to look for the opinions of everyone else instead of being confident in what God's called you to do, guess what happens? You rob yourself of the blessing of being used by God. I can be confident because I'm trusting in God. Right? The New Living Translation says this, We are confident of all of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. We're confident in all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. Because of Christ, because of the cross, because of His grace. What He did for me, because of what forgave me, now I'm confident to do what God called me to do. Paul is saying, verse 5, Not that we are sufficient. Now that we think we're adequate, now that we think that we're competent, in and of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Underline that please, church. Our sufficiency is from God. Not that I think that I'm competent in and of myself. Not that I think that all that. Not that I think that I'm prideful. Not that I think that I can do it. Not that I think I don't need the Lord. Oh, I don't need you. My sufficiency is from God. And that's why he's so bold. That's why he's so committed. Because he's trusting God. You are never more committed than when you're trusting God. You're never more committed than when you're trusting God. And there he's saying, that's why I'm so committed. I'm confident that God called me to do this. And through opposition, I know that it's only an opportunity for God to demonstrate His power. Through the circumstance, I know it's only an opportunity for God to demonstrate His power. Here Paul is not a sole proprietor. He's not trying to be solo. He's not trying to go and do it on his own. Trying to say, I have full ownership. No, he is incorporated into the plan of God for his life. And it is very evident and, it's very evident and obvious. Do you want to have the ownership yourself? Or do you want to be incorporated into the plan of God? It's so amazing how you start to see that picture. I don't, I don't want to be a sole proprietor where I think I'm in charge. But I want to be incorporated into the plan and into the will of God. And I can be confident in that plan, in that will of God. Do you remember in Joshua chapter 1? What did Joshua, what was Joshua lacking? You know what Joshua was lacking? God was calling Joshua to a new season to be a leader. And Joshua was young. He was going to inherit so much. So many people comes so many problems. <laughs> And he was going to inherit all the people and all the problems and the responsibility and the decisions to make. But he was lacking confidence. He was discouraged. So God gave Joshua confidence. God gave Joshua encouragement. He's saying, stop looking at people. Start looking to me. That's how you get encouragement. When you look to the Lord and not to people. Look at in Joshua chapter 1 verse 6 through 9. I love how he speaks to Joshua about confidence in doing what God had called him to do. But you know how you can do that? By looking to the Lord and looking to His Word. So many times we look for opinion of man where we're all over the place and we lack the confidence of doing what God's called us. Be strong, Joshua 1 verse 6. And of good courage for this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Number one, what does he tell them? To, to be able to give them confidence tells them to be strong. He's building confidence in Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous. Don't be discouraged. That you may observe to do all that is in the law of Moses. He points them back to the word of God. And he says here, My servant commanded you, do not turn to the, to the right or to the left of it, that you may prosper in whatever you go. You want to prosper? You want to be successful? Don't pay attention to what that person said or the other person said, the right or the left. Look at the word of God and do the word of God. You will succeed in whatever you go. This book, verse 8, telling Joshua, 
The law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it day and night. Meditate on the word of God. You know what really takes away our confidence in the Lord? When we meditate on our doubts. When we meditate on our fears. When we meditate on our lack of faith. We start to meditate on what people think. Instead of meditating on the word of God. It's saying here, meditate on it day and night that you may observe according to all that is written in it. For then you, it will make your way strong and prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and have a good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. For the Lord of God is with you wherever you go. What was he doing for Joshua? He was building confidence in him. How do you build that confidence? In knowing what God's called you to do and going to the word of God. We want to give up. We want to quit. We don't believe anymore. We don't have hope. We don't have faith. Go to the Word of God and understand that your sufficiency, verse 5, is not in yourself, but our sufficiency is from God. I love that. Our competency, our adequacy, our we're satisfied. It comes from, we don't claim any credit. It comes from God. We're not self-sufficient. We actually need the Lord. I love what Charles Spurgeon said when it comes to being sufficient in the Lord. He said, our sufficiency is of God. Let us practically enjoy this truth. Enjoy that. Enjoy that you are sufficient in God alone. He said, we are poor and leaking vessels. That's what we really are. And the only way to keep us full is to put our pitcher under the perpetual flow of the boundless grace of God. Then despite the leakings, the cup will always be full to the brim. You think about that. We're like a leaking vessel. And the only way to remain full is to be under the boundless grace of God. Despite the leakage, we will always be full to the brim because our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. You know what the problem is here? Is that we want to be sufficient in and of ourselves. Paul is saying, I don't, I'm not like that. I need the Lord. And Paul was convinced Paul was convinced. I, I'll pray that you're convinced as well too. That Christ is the only one that makes ministry effective. That Christ is the only one that makes your life effective. That Christ is the only one that can make really your, 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 your family now put it back together. Christ is the only answer. In Philippians 4 verse 19 he says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He says, and God is going to supply your needs. We're, we're depending on God. We're trusting God to supply every single one of our needs. Our sufficiency comes from God. It doesn't come from a job. It doesn't come from a pay raise. It doesn't come from a title. It doesn't come from a, a promotion. It doesn't come from a relationship, your sufficiency. A lot of people think that, man, well, as soon as I have this relation, that I'll be so happy. And then they find out, no, that's not it. My sufficiency doesn't come from my spouse. My sufficiency comes from God. And it's, I always tell people all the time, you know what? Your husband or your wife is not going to give you the full sufficiency that you want. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. <laughs> She'll tell you. I cannot bring her the, the total contentment that she ever wants. I can be the nicest that I possibly can. Do all the sweetest things. But her sufficiency comes from God. And your sufficiency has to come from God. Not from any other place. But in John 15 verse 5, Christ Himself says it Himself. He wants to tell you very plainly. He already told us, Paul, in Philippians 4, that, that God supplies all our needs. But in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you're connected to me, if you're abiding me, I am him. He bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without him, you can do nothing. 
Without Him, you can do nothing. What does it tell us that? That we need Him. Our sufficiency comes from Him. Without Him, you can do nothing. And with Him, nothing is impossible. Isn't that amazing? That's so incredible. Now in verse 6, it tells us as we end today, who also made us sufficient as ministers. Not only did He make us sufficient to serve Him, but ministers of what? He's going to be specific now. He made us ministers of the new covenant. He qualified us to be servants of this new covenant. You see that He's saying, the Lord put me in this position, in this place to serve you this way? The Lord did it. Sometimes we think, you know what, I know that they want me to serve at this capacity at the church, or I know that there's an opportunity to serve, but I don't feel qualified to do this. I feel qualified maybe to serve in that capacity, but not qualified to serve in this one. But don't feel qualified in of yourself, because if you do, you won't do anything ever. <laughs> Who qualifies you is God. He said, God has qualified me, verse 6, He has qualified me here, and He's going to tell us what He qualified Him for, to put Him into the ministry. And how do you put him into the ministry? To serve ministers of the new covenant. Not the old covenant. Notice this. It's a new covenant. It's a new promise. We don't like old things. We like new things, right? Well, God has given us a new covenant. It's different from the old covenant. And he didn't place his qualification on his own ability, saying, God called me to this new covenant. What is the new covenant? He tells us in the second half of verse 6. The new covenant is not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, a covenant, it's almost like a last testament or a will or a, a, an agreement that God has made. And He's saying, I, I've given you this new covenant. It's not like the old covenant. The old covenant was in the Old Testament. And the old covenant was the Ten Commandments where you had to be able to say how I can be right with God by keeping all these rules and works and regulations. It was the letter. That's what he refers to when he says the letter. And it's such a works-based system. That's why they had to kill an animal and sacrifice the animal. And the blood of the animal would cover their sins. And again, every time they messed up, it was all based off of works. It was based off of them trying to now understand and know that we want to be right with God. Based off the old covenant, the tablets of stone. But you know the Ten Commandments could not save you? They only can expose your sin. The Ten Commandments weren't given to us to save us, but to demonstrate to us how far we are from God and how much we need Him. When you read the Ten Commandments, they don't make you feel good. They make you feel like, man, I really do need God. <laughs> Go through the first two commandments and see how you understand, you notice how much you need the Lord. That's why the Lord gave us those commandments, to let us understand a need for Him. It wasn't that they were going to save us. In fact, they were going to expose our sin. And they are going to give us that guilt and that condemnation without the Lord that we need so that we can run to Him. And every time we broke the law or the Ten Commandments, which is called the law, guess what? It was, it was given. It was the penalty of that. The penalty of breaking the law is death. The penalty of breaking the, the law. Because guess what? A life apart from Christ apart from His blood, covering us from our sin, it only leads us to death. And that's what He's talking to us about. It's a new covenant. The old covenant leads you to death. But the new covenant can save you. Why? Well, let's read about the new covenant. In verse 6, But the, the new covenant is of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The new covenant goes from religion to relationship. Where God wants to have a personal 
relationship with you, where your relationship with God is not based off what you do. Your relationship with God is based off of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you understand that? The, your, your relationship with God is not based off of what you do or what you don't. Your, your relationship with God is based off the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's based off of grace. It's based off forgiveness. It's based off the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and forgives us of our sins. And the new covenant does what it does. It does what the old covenant couldn't. It cleanses our conscience. To know, yes, I know we're a sinner. But beyond that, we're saved and we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and our sins are removed because of this new covenant. Do you remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus took the bread of communion and what did He say? He took the bread, He gave thanks and He broke and He gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, He also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. It's a new covenant. It's not the old covenant where you have to, to, to feel guilty or feel condemned or, or the, old, the old covenant where, where you have to know that your, your sins are not washed away. It's a new covenant where Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for your sin. And that's where he's taking them to Paul here. He wants them to understand that the new covenant gives you life. And the old covenant only led you to death. You see, when a lot of people ask me, what is the difference between Christianity and everything else? Every other religion, it's all the same. They all sound the same. It's all the same God, but it's not. It's not. Because everything else is based off how, you, how your works can make you right with God. When you have a living relationship with Christ, through His Son Jesus Christ, you have a living relationship with the Father because of what Christ has already done. And it is not religion. It's a relationship. It's not legalism. It's not works. It's His work. It's not regulations. It's grace. That's what makes it a new covenant because it's a new covenant that changes lives. I'm going to tell you three things as we end what the new covenant does for you. Well, what is this new covenant? What does it do for me? Number one, the new covenant covers you with the blood of Jesus Christ and His finished work. The new covenant covers you with the blood of Jesus Christ and His finished work so you're forgiven. The new covenant covers you and it forgives you of your sins. That's what the new covenant that God gives us. It's not legalism. But also, number two, the new covenant, you know what it does? It consecrates you. Not only it forgives you, it consecrates you and it separates you from sin and makes you holy. That's what the new covenant does. Not only are we called to be forgiven, we're also called to be consecrated. Not only covered, but consecrated. That word consecrated means to be separate, to be holy, to be kept apart from sin, kept apart for God. The new covenant kept you, keeps you apart from sin. The new covenant covers you from sin. It keeps you holy. It consecrates you. It keeps you separate. But also the new covenant does a third thing. It makes you confident in the presence of God. It makes you bold. Not only can I be forgiven, I also know I'm separated, and I also know I can be bold. I can be bold. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with true, a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does the new covenant do? It covers you from your sins. It consecrates you, it sets you apart, 
And it makes you confident in the presence of God where you can be bold and say, Lord, here I am. I need you again. I need your grace. I need your love. And I need your mercy. That's what we have to run to the throne of grace. We have all access now to God. It's not based off a of person. It's not based off a, 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 a one man. It's not based off of a priest. It's not based off of uh, uh, regulation. not based on how many prayers you do. That's not what makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is the finished work of Jesus Christ, the covenant where you personally can have a relationship with Him. And what does that come to? His blood covers you. Then it separates you apart from the world. And it makes you confident to approach Him personally in His presence bold. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. For your word, Lord, your word is so true and it's powerful.